In this episode of the Rockets Chop Pod, I'm joined by Rockets Chop Shop contributor James Piercy as we talk about some of the moves the Rockets could make leading up to this trade deadline. I'm also joined by our resident college scout expert, Cooper Klein, as we talk about the Cougars. How are they looking? Who are the players we should be looking out for coming out? And what are their prospects looking like going into this tournament uh, approaching in March? Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Tap in. Let's go. All right. So we got my man here, James Piercy from the Dream Shakes, um, from SBA Nation's The Dream Shake. And uh, he just wrote a new fire article that is going to be in the description for this video that uh, you guys should definitely check out titled Rockets NBA Trade Deadline Primer. And in this article, the key, you know, the headline feature on there is regarding the era Gordon James. And, uh, you know, obviously, as Rockets fans, everybody knows the EG trade rumors have been going on. You know, it's like, you know, you get Christmas, New Year's, EG trade rumors. Nothing happens summer. It's like it comes just like yeah. that. Uh, um, so right now, you know, obviously, we've heard some of the things that are out there. What do you think the uh, market is for Eric Gordon? Do you think it's something that we should be excited about or or what is the feel that you have for what we can get for EG? I, I wouldn't get too excited about it, man, to be completely honest. Uh, I, what I'm anticipating is like some second round draft picks and and a, a veteran that maybe is a little more conducive to like helping our young guys, you know, as opposed to Gordon, who is probably more like in ring chasing mode right now, which I obviously I can't blame him in the least, but he's just... I don't know, just on a personality level, I don't think he's the guy to like lead this long, young core. And I think he knows that, right? I don't think he has the patience to... Like, it, it's just not his personality type. I don't blame him. But in his mind, he's like, I want to go play with some adults and win some games, you know? So power to him. I, I suspect we'll move him for maybe a guy like Pat Beverly, who seems to kind of relish like taking the reins with a young group and helping them get better, you know? Uh that's about that. And maybe, maybe like an interesting young player that that team seems done with, right? Like if we could get Derek Rose and Cam Reddish, I think that's a really good return. Even though I'm really out on Reddish, just for the sake of like, this is at least an asset that a young rebuilding team might as well take a flyer on, you know? Or if Pat Beverly were to come with Lonnie Walker the fourth, I think that would be really good for, as far as the Rockets are concerned, you know? Although he's probably been more productive than Gordon this year, so I'm not even sure if the Lakers would do that. But if they would, that would be great. But I would not expect a first round pick. That's one thing that I'm, I'm, I would say it's nearly impossible to get a first round pick for Gordon with his production this year. Yeah, speaking of his production, I mean, EG right now he's having pretty much career lows across the board, uh, scoring 12.8. I think that's the lowest uh, point total for his entire career. And it's not like he took a major dip in his minutes played. He's still getting 30 minutes a game. Uh, the shooting is down to th- uh, from three is 34%. And his shooting is he's a streaky shooter in his career. There's some years that are better than others, but um, the 34%, 42 from the field, which is a, a low as well in the past, maybe he hasn't shot that low from field goal percentage in maybe like five or six seasons. So, and two rebounds, two assists, not really 12, two and two is not a guy that I, as a GM, I wouldn't trade a first round pick for that. And you factor in like his age, you factor in the injury history, you factor in um, some of the limitations he may have right now that he's shown defensively um, on, on this Rockets team. I'm sure he could turn up if he wants to, but um, I do feel like um, the, the the ship has sailed on Eric Gordon being like the, the guy that, uh, you know, old Eric is going to get you a first round pick or two. Um, so if if they do move him out, 
Now, you know, you kind of propose some players that uh, from the article that you may be interested in. Obviously, the biggest name on there is John Collins, and we've had discussions about this. Um, I want you to make the case uh, for the Chop Shop audience as to why the Rockets should consider taking John Collins back and what parameters do you have on it? Yeah. Okay. So I think I'll start with the parameters because that's more important to me, right? Uh, like I, I would not give up more than Gordon, KJ Martin, and the Bucks pick, and, and anything more than that, and I'm out. Like I, I wouldn't give up a Brooklyn pick, uh, even a swap, really, because I just, I just think those picks at least have some potential. Whereas the Bucks pick, like we know, this is like the the twenty fifth to thirtieth pick in the draft, right? Like the, that's that's what the asset is. So it's it's got it's. You know, it's a first round pick, but it's like not a very valuable one. So the case for Collins to me is this. He's like two seasons removed, maybe three seasons removed from one of the most efficient 20 and 10 seasons that we've really ever seen from like a a stretch big, right? Like true shooting percentage off the charts, like 98th percentile. Uh, You know, this is a guy that when he's operational, he's he's a big man that can pick and either roll or pop and and that's that's pretty rare we saw how effective that can be offensively with christian wood but collins is actually like a capable defender he's not really like an excellent defender but he he is an effortful and capable defensive player and he's 24 i think right so you know his production has has declined drastically since that season but we have to ask ourselves why i do think that it's not always optimal for play finishers to play in like a heliocentric system because Collins's production is almost exclusively a consequence of volume and opportunity, right? Like they basically shifted to a Clint Capella pick and roll over a Collins pick and roll, which is absolutely fair enough. Capella is an excellent pick and roll finisher. But with that in mind, it's just like, well, if he's not going to be Trey's partner, there's not really that much for him to do. Right. So to me, he's a rec- reclamation project, and, and I guess the case in simple terms would be he's got a season and maybe two seasons under his belt that are most likely better seasons than K.J. Martin's ever going to have. And the last thing I would say is, yeah, he's expensive, but we have to pay K.J. too, right? K.J. is probably going to make, on his next contract, I would say 15 to $18 million a year, and it'll actually extend longer a couple years longer than the rest of collins's deal will be at that time so i don't really see it as a major uh financial burden for the team because now you're not paying kj you know it's kind of a wash that way really okay so my 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 take on him like in a basketball like in a vacuum i like collins as a player and to your point um with his utilization and usage on on atlanta um you know over the past few seasons his rim attempts have literally just plummeted um, you know, when he was kind of uh, in his prime or how they were using him in his, when he was really producing for them, um, he was a lot of his uh, percentage of, of his shot, uh, shot diet was coming at the rim up in the um, as high as 55 percent a couple seasons ago. Now it's down to 38, which is a career low for him. Um, also, he's shooting career lows. But even that, let's I'm going to grant you all of that. My biggest concern for him is uh, contractually uh, just the length of his contract. Um, so currently right now, John Collins, he is signed uh, through the 25-26 season, right? And he's due $26 million every year up until then. Um, the reason the length of the contract is an issue for me is because even though, um, like, Kenya Martin only has, you know, he's basically like $2 million next year, and it's a, it's a 
non-guaranteed contract. I think it's he has two uh, one point nine million as a team option next season, um, and that's coming off of his rookie contract. So the team could this offseason renegotiate an extension for him um, to add him onto the team for something that's team friendly. Maybe use the tape model um, to to do that. To me, the length of Collins's contract going through 25-26 is significant because of the rookie extensions that are due for Jalen and Shangun coming up. And I think because of that, um, I would rather, because I look at him and even a player like Kenya Martin Jr., the value that he would bring to our team, is it worth the um, cap hit that we would take for that $26 over maybe negotiating something that's maybe, you know, in the – 10 to 15 million dollar range for Kenya Martin. Okay, so you, you make some interesting points about KJ, right? I, I guess really it's a matter of like if I knew more concretely what contract negotiations with Martin were likely to look like, I, I might feel differently, right? Because in terms of negotiating something a little team friendly midway through next season, uh, is his camp going to be agreeable to that? Or are they going to say, no, we want to hit the open market because we think we can get. 15 to 18 right because like i guess I, I would rather have collins at 23 million a year for two seasons than i would kj at 18 million a year over four seasons you know what i mean because that's how much collins would have left by the time we signed kj in the first place on the other hand i would rather have kj at 10 million hands down you know so if, if, if kj at 10 million is like a possible thing then yeah i don't i don't want collins not at the cost of kj especially you know so right. Yeah, those 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 details would be key to my. I guess my hunch is more so that KJ is going to be looking for something in the neighborhood of like fifteen to eighteen million a year. You know, and you know, with the cap increase coming up, you know, maybe it is something that he's played into. Um, and like I, if, I, I think the negotiation does matter, and I wonder whether those talks have already started. I would assume that they have, because to me. Um, trading away a guy that's going to be a, uh, you know, a team option next year, his, his play, he's way overplayed his contract and his, the way his contract is structured is a great value to have. And even the value of having a guy that's an expiring team option next year, that's only 22 years old, overplaying his contract um, to me is, is a valuable trade asset. And I'm just not sure that John Collins meets my criteria for the player that I would do it for. But um in a vacuum, I get it. I think it also depends on where the Rockets are going as a team and determining what play style they're going to go with um, going forward to see if John can be maximizing our system. You know, there's also not a chance that he could also come here and not look great um, and then lose value. But um, quickly, some of the players that you also point out in the article, Pat Beverly is one of them. Um, and I, I have my little notes here. I put check marks on the guys I like. I love the Pat Beverly contract because um, – He's a thir- 13 mil this year. He's an unrestricted free agent. So if we did a trade for Pat Bev, you'd be okay risking him walking because we would have to negotiate with him this season to see if we want to um, keep him going forward. Uh, w- would you be like, is that something that you would put into mind? Like you got to, you know, basically probably extend him with a wink and a nod if you're going to get him here. Yeah. Yeah, but that's fine because, I mean, to me, on the open market, this guy, we're talking about a player that's declining and is old and was always kind of offensively limited. So I would expect that Beverly's market this summer will be like like the MLE or something like that, like $7 million a year or something like that, right? So uh, it's kind of inconsequential. And like I just love Pat Beverly, man. I think, he's, I think Pat Beverly 
uh, has a way of taking these young guns and and putting the dog in them. You know, like I like I just yeah. I think he's a good guy to have around. Uh, so I'd be totally open to that. Sorry, the Lakers would have to include Lonnie Walker the fourth to make it work. And like he's only twenty four, he's worth taking a flyer on. He's very athletic. He he can shoot. You know. Yeah, that's I, I definitely I love Lonnie's game. Love them in, in San Antonio. Rubio is another guy I like. I just don't think the Cavs will do this. Rubio is actually the perfect contract on for them. He's only making six million next year, uh, and six point four the year after that. Low impact on their cap. He's a great over overplays. I think what he brings to them is probably worth more than what he is costing them right now. Um, I'm not sure if they are ambitious uh, to go out and especially for nothing on the Rockets. Uh, to switch out where Rubio brings, I would love to have him, but I just don't see that happening um, for us. Interesting one is Derek Rose. Um, so Derek, he's uh, he's owed a uh, $15.6 million next season. Then his final season, 24-25, is a team option. You um, combine him with Cam Reddish, who's a restricted free agent, I guess to make the money work with EG. Um, what would that look like uh, for you? And, you know, with the 15.6, do you kind of hold Derek in the same light as you will with the Pat Beverly? I do, man. I, th- I think Rose is another guy that would be a really good mentor. Like, here's some things I like about Derek Rose. He's an intelligent person, you know, and, and, and that bodes well for his locker room presence. Rose, he's also been through every you know season of nba life that you could imagine like this guy was the youngest mvp in league history he was a superstar everybody was talking about him then next thing you know he's like this bum that's borderline out of the league and and you know everybody's low on him right and then he reinvents himself a third time as this like solid rotation guard that that contributes to your team and so like i just think that makes him a good mentor in the sense of no matter what any young guy on the team is going through rose is like hey i've been there you know been there, been uh, there. so yeah i think he's another good mentor type yeah i think that's a i guess that's what the vision they have for john wall that never materialized um i think he's one of the few players that has walked in the shoes of the highs and the lows of being like a mega star to being a, a role player and which you know honestly any of our guys could fill into those lanes uh, as they go through their career I think that would be good. Interesting one. I like Obi Toppin. Um, love his, you know, it's a team, he has a team option next year. He's going to be a restricted free agent um, after next season. I would love to take a flyer on Obi. Um, Emmanuel Quigley and Bones Highland, not too high on them. I think you're just re- swapping out um, uh, worse, worse or Ke- Kevin Porter Jr.'s, in my opinion. For the team. Yeah. And, uh, let me say, I, on quickly, I, I I do agree with you. Like, I was just kind of rattling off names, too, you know? But, no, but like, no, no. I, I, I agree with you on quickly. Bones is a – I think he's a little less, like, pick-and-roll reliant than Porter Jr. And, and might be a little more, like, willing – not able, but willing to play off ball with, with Shangun and just launch triples. So I wonder if he might be a slightly better on-court fit. But, yeah, I can understand not being super enthusiastic about him. I, I, I'm not really dying to trade for him either. One player that I think we both agree that we would love is um, in a in a dream world is if Chris Paul could come back uh, to the team. I think I, that would be probably like the maximum vet uh, acquisition the Rockets could make on the team that would impact and cross every T and dot every I across the board. I think he would help coaching because he would reinforce some of the things that the coaches are trying to do. I think that's a guy that's going to help the on-court production and the on-court development of the players. Then you have the accountability behind the scenes. And uh, he has a track record of everywhere he goes, teams win and they just get better. 
So, you know, I, I definitely would love um, if if that could happen. But, you know, Tillman said what he said. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of love lost between the Rockets and uh, and Chris Paul. But, you know, one could only dream. Uh, are there yeah. any names that you could think of that, you know, maybe just like just in the Chris Paul light that you'd love to have on a team that maybe aren't like super realistic, but guys you would love on it on the roster? Um. I mean, how unrealistic, like, you know, I'd love to have uh, no, you no, know, no. on the roster. Yeah, no, no. A realistic, realistic, unrealistic, like somebody that we could get, but you doubt that uh, we'd be able to get. I'm putting you well, on the spot. It's nothing, it's nothing like Chris Paul, but one of the names in the article that I, I think would be really exciting that is probably not going to happen at the end of the day is Jared Vanderbilt. Uh love his game. I understand that there are concerns about fit. Like, why would we add another forward? But we don't really have like a, well, I guess we have Garuba, but Vanderbilt is like oh, a lot better, you know? And and we're talking about a combo big. So I think you could easily find 25 minutes tonight for him off the bench. Like, he can play with Shangun, He can play with Tari. He can play with Bari. Uh, he's pretty Swiss Army type of guy. You know, defensively covers a lot of ground. He's really versatile. Um He'd be a really exciting addition, and I think he'd be happy to come because he's, he's from Houston and everything. Yeah, Loki, that's that would be a great pick. I do worry a little bit, even with the John Collins thing about the redundancy of some of these positions, because like you said, we do have uh, seem, seem seemingly a logjam at Ford, and um, with Atari's, and obviously he's flashing that he could be something. Uh, Jabari Smith, even though he's struggling, um, you know that's a third pick that we have. Uh, you, if you we bring in a third forward, like. I wonder how that looks. That is something I do think about even positionally because I'm leaning towards getting guards and and a center. Um, but a forward is interesting. But I think we may be at the point where we really don't know where anything is and shouldn't limit getting talent that we think has upside uh, for you know any specific position. Yes, I completely agree with that. Like I I I think Tari is definitely going to be something, uh, but. I, I could see Tyrese in being a star player. I could also see him being a long-term reserve, you know? And like, and, and again, that'd be fine for the 17th overall pick. Like if he's a valuable 20 minute a night reserve, like that's, that's an outstanding, you know, Tari's a weird player, man. Like the kid can't seem to finish a layup, but at the same time, like he's got really special traits that <coughs> are hard to come by like outlier skills, you know? So it's tricky. But right now, I would just any, any good player we can land, I would get if they're 25 and under, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, for me, I guess overall for the trade deadline, I just hope that we do make moves that are are going to benefit the team in the long run. For I'm pretty much reserved with the fact that we're not going to be great next season. I think as some people assume, uh, the, like we can just turn on being a playoff team. So my mindset has shifted from that and counting the OKC pick is gone and just looking at the team overall's development in the long term as, you know, what do we need to do to reach a certain point, maybe in two, three years where we can be a contender or a team that's, you know, a playoff uh, level team. So um, I, you know, I hope it's not, uh, you know, same old, same old where we just kind of trade Bruno Fernando for Bruno Fernando light or type stuff and do some salary, uh, you know, punting, but, uh, we'll see. But the article is called Rockets NBA Trade Deadline Primer. Uh, James, where can people find you at? Find me at the Dream Shake. If you like fake trade scenarios, find me at NBAanalysis.net. <coughs> Excuse me, man. I got a little tickle in my throat. And uh, find me with the Shop Shop. 
and uh, on above the break with Nevin Brown. Appreciate you, brother. One more thing. Thank you. Appreciate it, too, man. If for some reason you're in St. John's, Newfoundland listening to this, you can find me doing colored commentary for the Newfoundland Rogues. And uh, you should come out and watch a game, man. Uh, we got this kid, Armani Chaney. I'm telling you, dude, if this guy was two, three inches taller or if he was 10% faster, we'd be talking about him as a Rockets trade target. It's just he, he's incredibly talented, man. Pick and roll vision on a professional level. He's just like he's just not really an NBA athlete, you know, and he's only five foot ten. So, yeah, come watch so the Rogues. Dacian Knicks. So you were watching Jason Nix over there. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not sure how much better Nix would be for the Rogues. Between, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Thanks, man. All right. I got my boy Cooper here with me. Cooper Klein, Aliou Coop on Twitter. We're going to chop up a little bit about the Cougars. You know, we hopefully I hope we can keep doing this because we got to show the Cougs some love. They're holding it down for the H-Town. And um, I, you know, uh, Coop is our resident uh, expert for U of H uh, here at the Chop Shop. So, Coop, right now, the, the Cougars are number three in the AP poll um, with only two losses on the season. They're ranked fourth in the offensive rating at 116.9 points per possession, ranked, ranked second in defensive rating at 85.8, which is nuts. 85.8 points they're holding teams to uh, in a, a per 100 possessions. And, uh, you know, the top players, Marcus Sasser and Jarris Walker, obviously, Marcus leading the team in scoring, Jarris being kind of an all-around guy, great stats for him, shooting 38% from three. What is the what is their secret to what they're doing and, and why are they so dominant on both ends of the court um, for the past few years? But what, what do the, the, the Cougars do well? So the the word you're going to hear if you watch any of the games, if you, know, you follow the team is culture. Uh, that word is going to be beaten to death into you, but it's, it's the best word for what Kelvin Sampson has really done to the program. Uh, I mean, you can see the seeds, you know, you go back and watch the teams from when he first got here and they're, they're kind of garbage, honestly, but they hustle, they play hard. And, you know, he built a foundation with guys like Armani Brooks and Rob Gray and all those kinds of guys, Nate Hinton to a degree, um, you know, that allowed them to get Jarris this year, who is their best recruit in the recruiting era. Of course, I mean, Hakeem is a better prospect than Jairus, but you know, <laughs> that's not the, right, the, the right, 80s right. didn't have two, four, seven. So, right. but, um, and then they also have Terrence Arsenault, who's their third ranked recruit, who's been kind of their, their bench super defender. So if they need somebody to come in, get offensive rebounds, cut, uh, and just defend like a madman, they bring in Arsenault and then they have Emmanuel Sharp, who was their fifth ranked recruit of all time. Um, and he is, I, I think the Marcus Sasser in training for this team, uh, just shooting the ball from, from deep, getting into that little quick mid range. Uh, he's way, way ahead of where I thought he would be. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he came in at the midpoint of last season and practiced with the team, right? He, you know, graduated high school early and spent a lot of time practicing. He didn't play, but, just, I mean, it's the culture, it's the defense. I think this whole, this team's whole identity is built around defense. Uh, I think Kelvin's big thing is that this team can defend anybody. Um, you know, it's probably his best, like the best defensive team he's had. Um, and 
I mean, they have their weaknesses. Uh, I mean, they're not for a Cougs team. I don't think they're as good of an offensive rebounding team just by pure numbers, but they can actually finish their offensive rebounds because they're, <laughs> you know, their bigs are a little bit more right. talented. Uh, so, you know, it's not the Tari Eason offensive rebounding numbers where it's right. brick, 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 <laughs> four offensive yeah. rebounds. <laughs> Stat pad god, Tari Eason, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're on to you, Tari. We're, we're yeah. on to you. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're watching. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to make a Reddit thread about how your offensive rebounding <laughs> we were, numbers are inflated. <laughs> Tari Eason is a suspect, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but they, like, Jared, I think it's, it's really just they built – this team just from the ground up and they brought in all these guys, you know, Sasser was one of the best players in the final four run a few years ago as a freshman. Yep. He stayed around as a leader. Um, you know, Jawan Roberts and Reggie Chaney have been around for a few years each. And those guys are really valuable leadership wise. And it's the mixture of leadership that experience and elite talent that actually fits and makes sense in the system that a lot of college coaches don't really get. Um, like that's Duke's big problem, right? Is they have, Oh, here's my white shooter and you know, my other shooter and my ground bound big. And then here's all my five stars that make no sense together that are only going to be here for a year. And it's like Arsenault is the third ranked recruit in UH history. And he's going to be back next year. Same for Emmanuel Sharp. Uh, you know, Tremont Mark could be back next year, even though I think he's an NBA level player. Um, his man and rotational defense is some of the most impressive I have seen this season. Uh, he had, you know, potential top five pick Brandon Miller looking like a second round pick when they played and he's four inches shorter than him. Um, it's this team. It's tough. They're, they have great culture and a really unique blend of uh, of prospects and vets that make them a really special college team, even if they're annoying to watch sometimes. No, I, lo- I love I love watching them when I do get a chance to watch them uh, because I think that culture word, even though it's a buzzword in the NBA, obviously with the Rockets being the antithesis of culture, um, watching how they play, like to the minute details of like boxing out, rebounding, uh, the hustle plays, just a little stuff that you can use to make uh, a, a team that may not have all the top picks in the world, but they compete at such a high level that it makes up for a lot. One of the guys that really stood out to me um, is a guy that, uh, you know, we were talking about a little bit uh, off off offline and I'm going to I'm going to read out some some of his uh, advanced stats for this dude. He's only averaging five points and four rebounds per game, shooting 73 percent from the field. Um on the team, he's number one in defensive rating per 100 possessions. Um, he is uh, number two in offensive rating per 100 possessions. He's number one in total rebound perse- uh, percentage per 100 possessions. He's number one in block percentage per 100 possessions. And if you calculate his win shares per, per 40 minutes, he's number one in that. And this is no, I'm not talking about Tari Eason because to me, that's the profile that. I saw like that analytics darling of a guy that whenever he gets on the court, it's like chaos and he's blocking shots. He's dunking. He's doing all this stuff. Who am I talking about? Who, who, who is this? Who is this guy that is like just firing a bottle when he gets on the court? So that's a uh, sophomore Javier Francis, a six, nine big, who is a crazy athlete. He gets off the floor. He takes a second. His, he's not like a, like a super light leaper, but he can get, 
so high um, that even if he's like coming down, he's so long, he can still block shots. That 17.3, I think, yeah, 17.3 block percentage is nuts, right? Like there was a point where he was one of like 10, 15 players averaging over two blocks a game and was doing it in 14 minutes a game. Uh, which I mean, I, it's gone down because, you know, as you, you know, as you play more and you get more of a sample size, but I think it's more just representative of his talent in that area. He, he can dunk from just about anywhere, I think is another thing that really helps his percentage. So he'll be like, you know, a foot outside of the restricted circle and then go up and go around a guy and dunk the ball. And it's like, Oh, I thought you were going to go up for a contested layup or pass out. Now he's just going to jam it. And that's like kind of an underrated skill. I mean, finishing at the rim can be kind of tough. And if you can just put it in, you know, automatically when you're within four or five feet, his touch has also gotten better. His touch was non-existent last season and he's been pretty good. I mean, I don't think the free throw shooting is like, I think he's like 58% or something like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, You know, he doesn't need to shoot. He just needs to get up north of 60%, basically, I think, to have a chance at being an NBA guy, honestly. I think he'll, he'll he's going to come back. He's not going to go out this year. Right. But uh, I could really see him end up taking the starting spot, maybe his senior year. Um, and, you know, senior bigs don't really get that kind of attention. and Maybe hits the transfer portal or something. But just that kind of athletic ability, uh, you know, just – like you said, energy in a bottle. You throw him out there, good things happen. He's their tallest player. Uh, him and right. uh, Jarris are like the two tallest guys on the court. And Javier actually plays like it. Like he plays like a 6'9 guy. Jarris is special because he plays like a 6'3 guard, you know, for the good and bad that that brings. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, Francis, he uses every single bit of his physical talent. And and he has his moments where he's like a little bit lackadaisical and, you know, messes up, but he's a sophomore. I think that kind of stuff comes with time. And that's the value of having someone like Reggie Chaney, um, backup big, who I don't like very much. Um, I have a noted beef with him <laughs> um, after some of the, after some of the games we've lost, but um, I think his value really is leadership and the fact that he's been there for so long, he was the, the starting big for the Quinton Grimes final four team. Um, so, I mean, this team, I mean, Francis is just such a special addition because there aren't any big men, like true, true big men are starting center six, seven. Sometimes you need a guy who's six, right. nine and can, you know, run the, the, the post double to perfection. And he can do that. His, his ground coverage ability is really solid. He's a little bit lumbering, like his movement style is kind of weird. Um, but I think just the talent there outweighs the weird aesthetics of his game. And I I mean, just watching him on film, he looks like he has a really long wingspan. Um, I think on an NBA comp, I'm thinking of like Time Lord, almost a guy like that, that's um, maybe in a college setting, he may be very limited, but you put him as a small, you know, small ball five or somebody on the team with that athleticism, the reach. I've seen the uh, highlights have been blocking people on threes. Um, so definitely, um, you know, for th- aside from him, you know, obviously Walker is is NBA prospect. Who else on the team do you see that can translate, 
maybe not as a star in, in the league, but at least uh, be a player that would make it as NBA, either as a, as a backup or, or just a, a bench player, or even, you know, if you think highly of anybody else, a, a player that could start, do you see any of the, the non, because we assume Walker is going to be an NBA prospect, but who else do, should we be looking at for that? Yeah. I mean, Jarris will go probably top 10. He's really talented and I think he deserves to go. So I, I honestly think he could go top eight if the right team is there. Um, as far as other prospects on the team, I mean, my second favorite prospect is who we already talked about, Terrence Arsenault. Uh, I don't think he'll come. He's not going to come out this year just because of the lack of minutes. Um, but he is one of the most special ground coverage defenders I have ever seen. Like you, I don't know exactly. Let me check the numbers real quick. 3.4 steel, 2.3 block, not crazy. Like stats wise doesn't super pop, but you can watch him like almost Robert Covington esque, like blowing up weak side actions and doing this stuff as a freshman. And his biggest problem is that he's not super confident, especially in his handle. And that kind of limits the star upside. Uh, But, you know, good offensive rebounder sneaks in there as a cutter, Um, you know, at six, seven solid plus athlete with shooting upside. I think at a certain point, I think that's going to come next year or the year after, and he's going to be looked at as a top 20, 25 prospect Um, for this year. I think the main guy that'll get looks is Sasser, Marcus Sasser, um, who is arguably the best player, uh, it's kind of hard to say who the Cougs' best player is because it changes every single game. Um, if if the ball's falling for Sasser, then he's the best player because he can hit from anywhere within 40 feet. Uh, he can get to the rim at will. He can hit the midi. He has good touch. Let me check his layup percentage real quick because I think it's a lot better this year than it has been. He's yeah shooting 68% at the rim which for a, a guy who's like maybe six feet tall is pretty impressive pretty stuff. Good. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's with a lot of like touchy shots. Like he's not getting all right. the way to the rim. Um, I think he's just, he'll kind of fit into a Seth Curry kind of mold. I think, I think that would be his ideal usage. He can run a little bit of action like Seth can, uh, but you mainly want him as an off ball guy who can shoot passing lanes, you know, generate a lot of steals, play okay rotational defense, not be an absolute sieve. Um, and I think he's he's a lot more well-rounded than a lot of the one-dimensional, like, short shooters we've seen come out of college. Like, you know, Chris Clemens, Marcus Howard, right. Trevor Hudgens, and those guys are smaller as well. But he the ability to get to the rim, score from three, play make a little bit and defend, just – Keeps he has enough to hang his hat on besides the shooting. Like you could plug him in as like with the Grizzlies, you put him next to Jaw and he can, you know, defend point of attack and you know, play off of him, hit a bunch of threes, easy spot ups or movement stuff. There's a lot of versatility there. He's just kind of old prospect wise and has a little bit of an injury history, but I, I think that kind of guy's valuable in the late first, early second kind of kind of area. Uh, for this year, the only other guy who I think would be a prospect is Tremont Mark, who we talked about yeah. a little bit. Six five wing. Uh, the numbers are a little janky. Um, 
because everybody's numbers are a little janky, like the raw, mm -hmm. uh, like point numbers and all that stuff. Cause they play such a slow brand of basketball, but I mean, two block percentage, two steal percentage is shooting. Yeah. He's shooting well, 30, almost 38 from three. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's on pretty difficult volume. I mean, his two point percent is low because he doesn't get to the rim a ton and he gets blocked a lot, which kind of makes it tough. Um, and if I was more certain in the offense, I would be like, Oh, this guy's and, and the jumper's disgusting. Like you watch him play and it is the ugliest jumper. He's like sideways and super <laughs> flicky. It works. It works for him. And I love it. You know, it's a, we need more funky jumpers in the game, but uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, the defense is really what sells me with him as a prospect is he's a six, five wing who can slot in really, I think at the one, two or three, like off ball next to like a Luca at the one, I think he's primarily a two can defend bigger guards, but is also like strong and long enough. He's shown he can defend threes, you know, he's defended NBA level players and made them look really bad. Um, he's really great rotationally. He's elite on ball. He's just the kind of guy that NBA teams need. Kind of gives me yeah. like a KCP kind of feel. I think KCP is like slinkier and they, they move really different, but like in that kind of role, I think he could be really valuable. And yeah, you know, you know what I what I what I like about a lot of, the, you know, and this is just to the point of kind of the base of what we talk about with, with culture as we're seeing. I, I know we were talking about this offline is how a lot of these young guys are coming in, not really cultured on how to play the game of basketball. I think one thing, you know, you're getting from these these prospects coming out of Houston is that they know the fundamentals because they wouldn't be able to play for Coach Sampson if they weren't. You wouldn't see the court if you weren't drilled in on just the basic core fundamentals of basketball, good rotations, boxing out, running, filling lanes and doing all the stuff you're supposed to do. And I think for me, like even for the Rockets, um, you know, I think me and you've talked about how OKC selectively drafts certain types of players. I, you know, I, I would love a world where they start looking at um, the U of H's of the world, like teams used to look at Duke prospects back in the day. Cause you know, if they played for coach K they're going to know, at least they know how to play basketball. And I'm hoping that we go away from just drafting guys just off of pure, just athleticism and potential and start getting some, you know, some sassers in the league. You know, I like sasser cause he's, he's a, he's thicker at 190, 195. I mean, he's a muscular, muscular guy. So, you know, it's like kind of like the Jay Gup build where he puts on a little more muscle. He can be a great defender. I think he's has a way higher IQ than Jay Gup does. Um, so, but, you know, I definitely do, do like the mode that they're in now they've lost to Alabama and temple. Um, the tournament is fast approaching. Where do you see them? Like, what was the reason that Alabama gave them fits and how do you see them projecting out in the tourney, uh, this March? Uh, they need to hit their free throws and they need to figure out a consistent source of offense down the stretch. And I think that's become, you know, Jarris and Jamal shed. And I think. I would rather them lose and not have the one spot and figure out these issues going into the tournament than I would like, Oh yay, We've only lost one game. We're undefeated, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, have a Gonzaga and just get stomped in the tournament. Like they always do because nobody can actually push you. Nobody can make you figure out your weaknesses. 
Yeah, that's those those are great points. Um, once again, uh, we're going to try to have you on just to continue kind of keeping up with the Cougars. Obviously, March Madness is coming up. Exciting times uh, for that ball club. We hope that they can. Um, I think if they get a shot at the Final Four, then you know it's anybody's uh, game from there. So we just hope that this is the season because uh, it's here in here in the H. So we got to We got to get it. Um, but Coop, where can people find you at, brother? Yeah, you can find me at Ali underscore Oop underscore Coop on Twitter. Uh, you can find, you know, I write for the Chop Shop and I podcast with the Upside Swings uh, at Upside Swings on Twitter. Um, I do a lot of draft stuff there. You know, we just started our deep dive po- uh, podcast. We're going to be recording our one on the G League Ignite soon. And we just posted the Wemby one uh, late last week. So if you, you know, want to hear a two hour podcast about the guy who's, you know, the best athlete, the, you know, the best prospect since LeBron, you know, go check that out. Our TikTok's been doing pretty well. Got to post some more on there, but this was really fun. I got to, got to talk more Cougs uh, because yes, I, I have, I have so many Coug thoughts inside of me. I just need someone yes, to get sir. them out. Hey man, you are, you know, you got the keys to the chop shop. So anytime you want, just, just come through. You can fire it up by yourself too, if you want, man. But pre- <laughs> I don't think anybody you. wants to hear that, but. Hey, we going to build it up. We going, y'all Rockets fans, y'all need to support Houston. We're all Houstonians. Most of us are. And, uh, you know, these kids are out here holding it down for us. And uh, as in contrast to uh, our other kids, but um, we appreciate you, bro. Um, and we'll definitely see you around, but uh yeah, man. Shout out to uh, to uh, all the Chop Shot contributors. Check out uh, Coop um, on Twitter. Definitely follow him. And uh, yeah, appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me on. Uh, watch Coop's basketball because it's usually more fun than Rockets basketball. <laughs> That's a low bar, brother. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bro. Have a good one.